Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Hi, this is uh, Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. Hey guys, this is Cam York from Team USA. Hello, this is Tim Stutzler. Hi, my name is Noel Gunnler. I'm Alexander Holtz of the Team Sweden. Hey, I'm Dylan Cousins. Hey, it's Phil Tomasino. Hi, this is Devin Levi. Major Junior. Looks back to the point, turns, fires, scores! What a shot! First OHO goal for Shane Wright. Right circle, shot, scores! Connor Bedard has arrived here at the Brad Center, is first in the Western Hockey League. NCAA. Save! Watch out! Watch out! UMass are national champions! The NHL Draft. I am Slash and Kosa. This is Don Gunther of the Emmett Snow Kings. This is Luna McLoom from UGarn here. Hi, I'm Brent Clark. Hi, uh, this is Matt Coronado from the Chicago Steel. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Hey, it's Paul Stones with a two-fall stampede. This is Fabian LaSalle. I play for Lulio. Hey, it's Corson Kuhlman from Brooks Bandit. Hi, this is Chaz Lucius. This is Logan Sandkoven. I play for the Camels Blazers. It's just Wolfis from uh, Lulio Hockey. And more. Bring it! This is the Pipeline Show. We are well into the first round of the WHL and the Ontario Hockey League playoffs. The regular season in the queue wraps up this weekend. The Alberta Junior Hockey League finals are set and begin tonight. The USHL playoffs are through round one. We'll get an update on the North American Hockey League and uh, some interesting college hockey stories as well. Welcome to the Pipeline Show, everybody. My name is Guy Flaming. Thank you for tuning in and downloading this week's episode program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. That's Alberta's best beef jerky. Wilhock Beef Jerky is aged, seasoned, marinated, and smoked to savory perfection. And if you are in the Edmonton area, you got two locations to get to, Spruce Grove and Leduc. But if you're in Western Canada, contact Trent in Leduc, and they will ship it to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, it's time to get your jerky on. Wilhock takes orders of any size. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. Wilhock is spelled W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com. Let's start in the Western Hockey League as I'm speaking with you right now. It is a Friday. Two series have wrapped up. First, the Portland Winterhawks sweep the Prince George Cougars. And last night, the Edmonton Oil Kings completed a first-round sweep of the Lethbridge Hurricanes. Both of those teams move on. They are in opposite conferences, in case you're not super familiar with the WHL. One other series could end tonight, as well as the Kamloops Blazers are in Spokane. They lead that series three games to none, look to sweep aside the Chiefs. The other series going into this weekend's play in the West, we've got the Everett Silvertips ahead of the Vancouver Giants, two games to one, and the Seattle Thunderbirds couldn't complete the sweep in Kelowna, the uh, Rockets winning game four, so maybe a little bit of momentum on the side of the Rockets. That scene now shifts back to Seattle, though. In the West, the Winnipeg Ice look to close out their series against the Prince Albert Raiders. The Raiders forcing a Game 5 with a 3-1 victory in Game 4. The Moose Jaw Warriors were up 3-0, but Saskatoon won Game 4, so that one goes back to Moose Jaw now for Game 5. And the closest series in the first round in the WHL sees Red Deer and Brandon now into a best-of-three. Game 5 goes tonight in Red Deer with the Brandon Wheat Kings. Notable in that uh, that series, it's been a low-scoring series outside of the first game. Uh, 
Red Deer won game one, five zip. But since then, Brandon won game two from a 2-1 score. That one went to overtime. Red Deer winning game three, three to one. And a Brandon winning game four, three to one. So it's been a, a pretty low scoring affair for the most part. Notably for the uh, Brandon Wheat Kings, Ridley Gregg, who didn't play down the stretch. Got to wonder how, how close uh, or how far away from 100% he is. But no points in the series yet for Ottawa Senators prospect Ridley Gregg. Nate Danielson only has one goal in the series uh, for the Wheat Kings. Jake Chason, the Edmonton Oilers draft pick, uh, no goals in the series. He's got two assists, though. Meanwhile, for Red Deer, Ben King led the league in goal scoring. He has just one goal. We'll see if that changes here as uh, the scene shifts back to Red Deer for Game 5. We know that series, at least, will go six games. Over in the Ontario Hockey League, two series have wrapped up after the first round as well. For the Hamilton Bulldogs, they had no trouble with the Peterborough Peets. And North Bay was actually the first team to move on. It was a sweep of the Ottawa 67. So both of those teams in the Eastern Conference of the OHL, they advance. Kingston could also do that tonight. They are up 3-1 in their series against Oshawa and are at home to take on the Generals this evening. In fact, two other series could end tonight. Windsor at home against the Sarnia Sting, leading that series 3-1. And the Sioux Greyhounds uh, could eliminate the Guelph Storm tonight at home as they lead that series 3-1. There are three series in the OHL that are as close as can be. The London Knights and the Kitchener Rangers are deadlocked at two games apiece. Flint and Owen Sound, same thing, 2-2. And Mississauga and Barry, they do play tonight. One team will uh, look to get the third victory of the series as they are also tied two games apiece. Regular season wraps up in the queue this weekend. 14 teams have uh, locked up their spot in the postseason. I think Valdor will do the same here. And then it becomes uh, one of Victoriaville or Bay Como as they are tied with 53 points. Valdor has a five-point lead over both of them with just a couple of games to play. So actually, I'm not sure why Valdor doesn't have the little X next to their name just yet. But playoffs in the queue will be starting next week. So I'll definitely get a guest on uh, the program next week to uh, preview the postseason in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Uh, south of the border in the USHL, the first round has wrapped up. I do have a guest this week to talk about the USHL, so I'm not going to dive too heavy into it. But the second round begins tonight. They, they move really quick in the USHL. Of course, the first and second rounds are only best of three. Uh, that's why he can play two rounds of the playoffs inside of, what, about 10 days. Uh, but round two sees Chicago hosting the Madison Madcaps. Dubuque will play Muskegon. That should be a good series. A Tri-City heavy favorites against Omaha and Waterloo uh, taking on Sioux City. Then we go to the North American Hockey League. And the schedule so far, this is what's happened in the Robertson Cup playoffs. we got St. Cloud taking on Bismarck. That series is tied one game apiece. These are best of five series in the in the null first round. Game three and four go Tonight and tomorrow in Bismarck. Aberdeen is up 2-0 on Austin and will now have home ice advantage for games 3 and 4, 4 if necessary. So the Wings looking to close out the Bruins here tonight. In the East Division semifinals, it's the New Jersey Titans against the Northeast Generals. And that series is tied 1-1 after two games. The other semifinal in the East Division has Johnstown against Jamestown. Also tied one game apiece. The Midwest Division semifinals has the Fairbanks Ice Dogs out of Alaska taking on the Minnesota Wilderness with the Ice Dogs up 2-0 on 
but the Wilderness are at home for games 3, 4, and, if necessary, game 5. The Anchorage Wolverines are playing against the Springfield Junior Blues, but that series has wrapped up Anchorage winning in a sweep, which leaves us the South Division semifinal, the Shreveport Mudbugs taking on the Lone Star Brahmas, and the Brahmas are up two games to none. And finally, the Wichita Falls Warriors and the New Mexico Ice Wolves, that series knotted up one game apiece. By the way, the regular season top scorer in the North American Hockey League ended up being Ryan O'Neill from St. Cloud. He's headed to St. Thomas in the NCAA, but he ended up with 80 points in 57 games, including 30 goals. All right, lastly, before we get to the guest list for this week's episode, the focus of college hockey right now is uh, with new programs coming in and what that means for uh, conference realignment, if necessary, and uh College Hockey News, Adam Woden at College Hockey News has a terrific read. The article is entitled Between the Lines, Atlantic Hockey Faces Moment of Truth. A lot of discussion. The uh, conference may expand up to as much as 14 teams, but if that's the case, they might just split it in half and form two separate conferences of seven teams each. There's lots to digest. I'm not going to uh, go through the entire article, but uh, I did. I read it myself, and uh, it's great. So go to collegehockeynews.com and uh, see what Adam had to say about that. There's also an update on the website about the coaching carousel around the NCAA and some uncertainty. The last we've heard with uh, Mel Pearson from Michigan, his contract is uh, due to expire here any minute now. Still under investigation. And so some speculation, they're just waiting to see the results of that investigation and make sure that everything's fine and that they can bring Mel Pearson back. If not, there's a pretty good chance that Mel Pearson uh, does not return to Michigan uh, for the coming season and beyond that, and uh, that would open up the door to a new head coach, and you know there'd be plenty of candidates uh, wanting to take over that job. Mel Pearson, as a coach, has done a great job with the Michigan Wolverines. Seems to have been some questionable conduct over the last couple of years. Remember last year they got in trouble for fudging some of their COVID results before the uh, the national tournament. At least I be- that's my understanding that was the situation. Pretty far removed from it up here, but that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. So other coaching opportunities opening up as well. Boston College, Boston University, Michigan State, and Adam Oden has uh, the latest on those situations at all at College Hockey News. All my guests will join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Based out of Red Deer, the tap room is open. You can go in. You can get some exclusive in-house brews that they have right there. You can also get a bunch of apparel. You can make your own six packs where you can have six different varieties of beverages all in one six pack. You can do that all at the tap room in Red Deer. Or you can order online and pick up either at the tap room or at the farmer's market in Edmonton or the farmer's market in Calgary. Go to troubledmonk.com shop for that. This week's guest list was supposed to have four names on it, but uh, the final guest fell through at the last moment, so just a three-guest week, but some great conversations. We'll begin with a 2022 Draft Spotlight segment. Abram Weeb is my guest. Played for the Chilliwack Chiefs in the BCHL this year. He is headed to North Dakota, whether that's next season or the season after that. Still a little bit up in the air, but uh, he addresses that. Here's a guy who's probably off the radar for a lot of people, but not for NHL teams. So that's why I wanted to get Abram Weeb on the show. From there, we'll go to a USHL playoff update. My guest is Kirsten Krull from The Rink Live. She's going to update everybody on what happened in the first round. And that conversation I had with her happened about five minutes after 
the first round ended in dramatic fashion. So we'll hear from Kirsten Krull in the second guest segment, and we'll close out this week's episode with Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey with a look at the OHL playoffs and some thoughts on the U18 as well. And also as bonus, we discussed uh, my idea for the Canadian National Junior Development Program, and Brock's got some thoughts on that. But we will begin with a 2022 Draft Spotlight segment. Abram Weeb from the BCHL's Chilliwack Chiefs. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Tyson Jost from the Pentecton Vs. Jost racing back at center by himself. End to end. Jost shooting. Scores! Tyson Jost does it himself. End to end with 2.11 to go. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. One hope road that my mama showed to me from the Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hi, everybody. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. If you're anywhere in Western Canada, you don't have to make the drive in to Leduc or Spruce Grove, Alberta. They will ship it to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. We're going to turn on the 2022 draft spotlight, get to know another player that is eligible for the upcoming NHL draft. And for this segment, we're heading to the BCHL, the British Columbia Hockey League. And uh, my guest today uh, played for the Chilliwack Chiefs this year, had a terrific season, 31 points in 54 games as a defenseman. He's uh, last I've heard, at least we'll get him to confirm, but uh, headed to North Dakota eventually. Uh, to play for the Fighting Hawks. Uh, my guest today is defenseman Abram Weeb. Abram, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to get a chance to speak with you, and uh, I know uh, that uh, the playoffs didn't go the way that the uh, Chilliwack Chiefs had hoped for, but uh, it means you're available to come on the show now. Uh, so I, I'm happy for that, selfishly for the show, but uh, tell me about the playoffs and uh, and the what went wrong. Yeah, well, sadly, you know, got got uh swept in round two against the Nanaimo Clippers um first round you know I thought you know before the playoffs coming into the playoffs I thought you know we were really tight as a group um you know I think we were on a six game winning streak so we were all you know confident coming into playoffs and you know we we knew it was going to be tough in the first round against Coquitlam and they and they definitely gave us a run for it they took us to game seven and you know we were fortunate to you know come out of that with a first round win um, and then after that, you know, we met up with, with Nanaimo and, you know, they got, they got hot, caught with a hot goaltender. And, you know, I thought, you know, we played awesome against Nanaimo. We outshot him every game. We had more chances than him in every game. And, you know, uh, uh, their goalie Cooper Black just, you know, he stole the series for them. Um, you know, and props to him. Like he's, he's an amazing goaltender. He's a big goalie, about six, eight. And, you know, it, it sucks, but, um, overall, like I'm happy, happy with the way um the team played you know and I just think like 
there was nothing the nothing the boys you know could have done or could have changed for us to uh, win that series. It was just we just couldn't get it past the goaltender, which sucked. But now the season's over, and it's just you know time to focus on the off season and stuff like that. Well, when uh, you get through a you know the first round, you you get pushed to seven games like that. Is it tough to you know, go from a seven-game series straight into another one and keep that emotion. You got to take it to another another level. And did that work against you, maybe? Yeah, like you know, that, that series against Coquitlam was, you know, definitely different than Nanaimo because Coquitlam was definitely a, you know, a really really hard-working, heavy team. They they finished every check, so it was definitely a you know a really tough battle. Um, you know, every time I every time I went to the corner, I knew I was going to get, you know, a guy running through me against the boards. But against Nanaimo, you know. In their first round, uh, they swept the first round as well. So they only played four games, and you know we were coming in with seven, so they had three three less games played than us. So yeah, you know, I think one thing you could take in the fact is that you know we we were a little bit more tired, a little bit more fatigued than them, um, which definitely gave them a little bit of an advantage. But you know, other than that, I thought our team you know responded nicely, played awesome. Just you know, just couldn't get past the goalie. Um, I thought though, with that team being you know tired and playing a little bit more games, we definitely were. We're a little less physical than we have been, which definitely, um, you know, hurt us a little bit. But other than that, um, you know, it definitely sucks to be out of the playoffs so early. But overall, I'm, I'm proud of the proud of the boys and proud of the team and with the season we had. Well, let's talk about the season that uh, that you and the team had this year. Uh, what were your expectations at the start of the year, and and did your you and your club meet your expectations? Yeah, well, I think I think with every you know association or every team the the goal at the end of the year is to, you know, win a championship. And sadly only, you know, one team one team can do that at the at the end of the year. But um, you know, through the season, you know, with my goals coming in, I was hoping for our team to be one of the best teams in the league. And, you know, we finished in the coastal conference second and I think overall we were fourth or fifth fifth in the league. It's definitely what we we didn't, you know, want that of course. Every team wants to be number one. Sure. But um, you know, I was really really happy with the with the way our, our team played this season. We were really consistent, um, put up a lot of points, put up a lot of goals in quite a few games. Um yeah, but other than that, like I thought I thought our team team was awesome this year and it definitely sucks to be out already because I, I know that our team, you know, was the team to do it. We had so much depth on our team, it's just, you know, I guess got stuck stuck behind a hot goaltender on the other side. But overall, yeah, just really happy with with the way the season went, just not the outcome. I, I know uh, the last couple of years have been really challenging for, for most leagues, and uh, the BCHL certainly yeah. had their issues as well to deal with uh, COVID and, and stuff like that. Last year, you got into 20 games, uh, got 11 points, 31 points this year in 54 games uh, as a defenseman. Uh, from the outside looking in, I didn't get to watch the Chiefs at all play this year, but those sound like good numbers. Are you happy with that production for yourself? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I definitely, uh, you know, didn't... Didn't expect that coming into this year. Um, being a year a little bit no- nervous, I was coming in as a, you know, four or five defenseman, but mm. I just, you know, really, really took the the off season, you know, get better, get stronger every day in the gym, and luckily was able to put on about 25 pounds in the off season last year. Wow. Um, grew about an inch or so, so now I'm sitting at about six two and a half, one ninety, one ninety five, and then, you know, just came in this year, just you know, just ready to ready to work and just showcase myself and show the coaches what kind of player I was. And, and then I ended off, um, you know, on the team on for the first power play and getting, getting the PK time and was logging about, you know, 20 plus minutes a night. And 
um, I'm, and then the points just come, and I, I really just try not to think about points because if you if you play well, I just I feel the points usually just come with that, and you, it's just a reward for your play. And this season, I started off pretty strong. I think I had about 20, 20 plus points in the first eighteen games or something. So I was about just over a point per game, and I kind of slowed down throughout Christmas and after Christmas to start getting them back. So hmm. overall, I was really really happy with my season, and I you know couldn't couldn't have done much more with that. Well, and your point production actually got better even in the the postseason. And nine points in in the eleven playoff games that you had, so almost a point per game in the playoffs. Now, should point out almost all of those points are assists, which is nothing wrong with that. They count as much as yep. as goals do. But you're not necessarily the uh, the trigger man on the power play or something like that. You're the guy who starts the the transition from your own end and gets it up to the other guys, and especially the forwards, and let them do the damage. Is that that's the image I'm getting? Is that uh, far from the truth? Yeah, no, I think you're right there with that. Um, yeah, mostly on the, you know, with my assist, it's usually power play. Um, you know, it's more of a shooting mentality from the from the half wall guys on the power play. So mm-hmm. it's usually me just dragging a puck to the point, you know, faking shots, using a little deception, and then getting it to the half wall, getting it to the net, and then, you know, having those. We've got a couple of guys on that team that, you know, got some good one-timers, got some good releases. So, you know, they are, they're able to put the puck in the net which is nice. Abram Weeb is my guest. He's a defenseman with the Chilliwack Chiefs, or uh, was this past uh, couple of seasons. We'll uh, we'll see uh, in a minute. Uh, I'll ask him where he's playing next year. But uh, Abram, this is the uh, 2022 Draft Spotlight segment in the show, and we let my audience get to know somebody who's draft eligible like you are. And the Pipeline Show is a junior and college hockey show, so my regular audience will know about the BCHL. They'll, they'll know about uh, the Chilliwack Chiefs and uh, uh, North Dakota and all of that. But There'll be casual NHL fans who don't really pay attention to junior or college hockey. They'll listen to a segment like this just because you're a draft-eligible player. And for the benefit of that audience, uh, let's start at the beginning. Uh, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Ah, so, always been. I grew up in you know a small town in Mission, British Columbia, um, about 45 minutes away from Chilliwack, where, is where I'm currently playing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've lived here for about my whole life so 18 years so far and not planning on moving anytime soon well and you're a defenseman have you always been a defenseman yeah yeah always since uh since day one um started hockey playing when i was about about three years old and um started playing started playing in hockey one that was the first uh position i ever picked um i chose uh defense actually because my uncle was a first rounder seventh overall pick to the chicago blackhawks um played in the nhl for about about 15, 16 years, um, and, you know, who's a person I really looked up to and wanted to be like, so um, I'd say that, you know, he's probably the main reason is why I'm a defenseman today. All right, and for the audience who don't know, I have it written down in front of me. It's Keith Brown, uh, for those who yeah, uh, correct. who don't know. Uh, now, was that one of the reasons, uh, you know, we go back before you even started playing, where you started getting interested in, in the sport just because of, of him? Well, yeah, definitely, you know, he was a, definitely an influence on know why i played the game of hockey but um you know hockey growing up was always something that i that i really enjoyed every time for ever the first time i stepped on the ice you know i think it was a it was just the one thing that i wanted to do you know the game that i loved and that i wanted to you know play for the rest of my life well did you ever try any other positions i know a lot of players will tell me that you know maybe when you're seven or six or something like that your your team might not have had a full-time goalie so everybody had to take their turn in net did you have a, an opportunity like that I did, yeah. I was able to, you know, I was able to play goalie a couple of times, and uh, when I was about five or six, and a little hockey too. 
Um, I think I played about twice. Never really enjoyed it, but okay. it, was, it was a good experience. At 6'3 and 195 pounds, you're, you're like classic goalie size now. But uh, obviously the, the size is working out well for you as a defenseman too. Uh, you mentioned that you put on some weight over this uh, this past summer. Did you feel that? Did you notice that as a benefit this year? Is that maybe why you had such a big step forward in your in your development and your success on the ice? Yeah, yeah, I, I would say it, it was uh, you know a big factor with my season this year. Um, you know, if we if we go back to last year, I was about six one one seventy at the beginning of the season. And you know, going with the big with the big twenty one year olds on the ice, it was a yeah. it was tough to you know battle battle them in the corners and everything. So, and and you know, I was just I wasn't as strong as I was with my first three strides on the ice or anything like that. So I just thought it was a you know it was a big thing for me to put on weight and get stronger, get faster on the ice. I think it was you know definitely a big factor for me, especially in the D zone D zone this summer with you know pinning guys against the wall, um, out muscling guys on the along the boards and just my, my first three strides to get up the ice and join the play. And then just like, just getting stronger in general with my shot and everything like that. So, you know, getting bigger and all and weight wise like that, I was, it was definitely, you know, a big help for me this year. Uh, Abram Weeb is my guest defenseman with the Chilliwack chiefs, uh, soon to be at the university of North Dakota. And maybe we'll, uh, we'll uh, switch gears and, and chat about that for a bit. Why North Dakota? Why was that the right program for you? I mean, it's a, it's a perennial powerhouse playing in what I consider to be the, the best conference in college hockey, the NCHC, uh, and that's one of the premier programs. For those who haven't been to the Ralph, I understand. I've been there. I was able to take in a couple of games. So what a fantastic facility. But why North Dakota for you? I imagine you had options. Yeah, so you know, at the beginning of the season, um, we, I actually started out with not many, no offers, had nothing. I'm just talking to a couple of schools and then, um, one showcase hit. Um, I think that was, you know, when I really started to, you know, start playing well. Um, and then a, a lot of schools started to come along. And then I narrowed down my four teams to, uh, Northeastern, Minnesota State, uh, Nebraska, Omaha, and then North Dakota. And I kind of just, you know, sat on those four teams for about a month, just, you know, talking with my family and, and my agency and friends and just, you know, trying to find out what was the best fit for me and, you know, where I wanted to spend those four years of my life. And, you know, I definitely came to the conclusion of North Dakota. I just I couldn't, every time, you know, I thought about it, I would, I'd always come back to, to North Dakota. This is just, it's just, it's such an amazing facility and stuff like that. It's just, I've heard it's a, it's a lot nicer than a lot of NHL, NHL facilities. Um, and just like hockey wise, they're, they're top, they're a top end association. They're always, they're always up there in the rankings, and and for me, I thought it was going to be the best fit for me because you know they got a couple couple small D men coming in, um, and I think I'm one of their biggest commitments right now. So I think you know once once I head off to North Dakota, I'm going to be able to make an impact um, quickly than I would have on um, some of the other teams. So um, that's probably one of the main reasons I committed to North Dakota. But it's just one of the big ones, just the coaches, um, amazing coaching staff. Um, they make me they make me feel so welcome uh, when I talk to them, and um, that's just that's just one of the big reasons why I committed there. And I just have nothing but good things to say about them. So and I'm I'm just really excited that I that I chose that, and I'm excited for the opportunity to go there um, in the next year or two. Yeah, in the next year or two, and the sheet I'm looking at says 23-24, the uh, 2023 Correct. and 24 season. Uh, so is that is that the plan for sure? So you got another year before. You actually get to North Dakota. Do you know where you're playing next season? 
Yeah, so the plan um, right now is to be back in Chilliwack next year. Yeah. Uh, have another good season in Chilliwack, and then after that, just head off to North Dakota. So that's the plan as of now. All right, perfect. Uh, I have to ask if you had any uh, WHL opportunities. You're a Canadian guy. We all grind, kind of grow up in, in with the CHL in our backyard. A lot of players go the college route, and, and this show certainly has no bias. Excellent options and not right for uh, everyone. So, uh, But the WHL, I imagine, was uh, an option for you. Uh, why did you choose to not pursue the dub? Well, actually, um, I think some people find it a little bit hard to believe, but um, I actually... Never was offered by one WHL team. Wow. Um, at all growing up. Um, I, since I grew up in a, you know, small town mission and I started playing, I was playing, uh, about minor hockey until about Bantam's second year. So that was my draft year. Um, so was really, really overlooked. Um, not many scouts really ever came down to watch any of our games, kind of like that. Hmm. Um, and the reason just I played minor hockey is just I didn't want to, my parents just didn't want to pay for academies or anything like that. And they just, they always said, if, you know, if you're good enough, um, you know, someone, someone will spot you and watch you. So I wasn't, um, sadly, wasn't drafted to the WHL or anything like that. Um, I did go to the Tri-City Americans WHL camp okay. after the draft. Um, spent about a couple of days there just skating, had a camp with them. Um, and then other than that, um, yeah, never got never got any job with WHL looks, no offers like that, nothing. And then um, after my major midget season, the uh, Chilliwack Chiefs um, offered me a spot, and I took it immediately. Well, that's fantastic, and your parents are right. If you're good enough, people will notice, and obviously not just the Chiefs did, but so is North Dakota as well. So uh, that's, uh, that's terrific perseverance uh, on your part. Uh, let's talk about the draft, and I'm guessing maybe the draft really wasn't all that high on your radar at the start of the year, but as the season has gone on, have you started to think more and more about it, especially now that the season is done? Yeah, you know, at the beginning of the season, I definitely definitely wouldn't have thought I'd be in this position right now because um, last year was my first year of eligibility, and I knew that, you know, there wasn't a chance I'd be going in it. And and this year I thought maybe if I had a decent year, I'd be looked about a little bit, but I never thought that I'd be in the talks to even be going in the draft. And, mm-hmm. you know, after the year I had, I definitely think I have a, definitely an opportunity of going in it um but you know i think now it's just you know trying to not think about it don't go don't get too nervous and you know whatever happens if i do or don't get picked uh you know just you know stay keep staying focused and you know keep working hard and trying to get better every day i almost get the sense that it's uh you're one of those guys that every team has on their list but they're everybody's hoping that they can steal you late kind of Nobody talks about him. Like, let's just keep it quiet. He's our secret guy, uh, sort of a feeling like that. How many teams have actually reached out and talked to you? Yeah, so I've, um, this year, I think I've talked to around 10 or 15 NHL teams, and then I've had interviews with about five or six. Okay. Yeah, so that's about it. All right, well, perfect. Because I, I like NHL Central Scouting, I don't think included you on their, their midterm rankings or anything like that. They haven't seen their final rankings just yet, but. Uh, like you're a guy who's kind of sneaking in under the radar uh, at this point. Um, being a BC guy, were the Canucks your team growing up, or because of your uncle, were you more of a, a Blackhawks fan? Um, well, I grew up as a, you know, always got to grow up as a Vancouver Canucks fan since, you know, they're the closest NHL team. Right. Um, but I, yeah, I definitely grew up as a Chicago Blackhawk, Blackhawks fan as well. Um, they were definitely my two favorite teams growing up. Now, are there uh, players in the league that you look to and, and uh, say, well, okay, well, that guy's 6'2", six, 6'3", six, playing on the back end. Maybe I can model my game a little bit like that guy and have success. 
Yeah, um, a couple of players that you know I grew up watching was you know Duncan Keith. Um, you know he was a he was an awesome player. Go, you know to look up to and watch. Um, sure. But um, about now now I'm usually trying to model my game after Devon Devontae's um, for the Colorado Avalanche with Jake Muzzin. Um, I find that you know I have a lot of similarities to their game, and you know, I try to you know model my game after. You know what? I find that really refreshing that you're not saying it's like Victor Hedman or like whoever the the top five defensemen yeah. in the NHL are. You're realistic yeah. about your comparisons or your you know your motivation, the guys that you're you're trying to be like. I I think that's yeah. outstanding. I like it when a player kind of has uh, a realistic impression of himself. That's great. Before you get to the next level at, at, at college, what are the types of things you need to improve on in your game so that you'll have success at North Dakota and and maybe uh, beyond that as well, where where are the areas of your game that you need to work on the most? I'd say, um, first of all, just um, just getting stronger. I think, um, you know, just just starting to get stronger with my legs, um, just first few strides, you know, because when once I get up to North Dakota, you know, everyone's stronger. Playing against you know twenty twenty four twenty five year olds are they're gonna be that much heavier than me, bigger, faster. So, you know, it's really important that you know that I take the time to get stronger as fast as I can. Um, and then on the ice as well, just stick positioning. I'm just having a good stick in the D zone and in the corners and stuff like that. And then one thing as well that, you know, I'd really like to work on is just deception on the blue line and be able, being able to get shots through through the point. Well, Abram, listen, I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, best of luck over the course of this summer, whatever happens at the draft. And uh, maybe we'll chat again uh, next season in Chilliwack or uh, when you're in North Dakota. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you lots for having me. Hey, no problem at all, man. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. That was Abram Weeb from the Chilliwack Chiefs out of the BCHL this past season on his way to North Dakota, but not next year. Uh, it will be the season after. And uh, well, listen, we've had a lot of first-round picks uh, on the show this year, guys who are expected to go in the second or third, top 100. I have a, I have a sneaking suspicion. I mentioned it to him in that conversation. I think Abram Weeb might be one of those guys that every team has sort of his name a little bit lower down the list and thinking, you know what, we're going to steal this guy in the uh, in the later half of the draft, uh, and somebody else is going to sneak up and uh, take him earlier, like in the fourth or fifth round. And maybe there's a, you know, it's a Colton Pareko or something like that. Remember, Pareko wasn't uh, ranked by NHL Central Scouting. Abram Weeb might be something similar. Let's go to North Dakota, and maybe that's a little bias on my part, not that I went to North Dakota or anything, but uh, I have a, a lot of respect for the program. Definitely a, a guy I'm curious to see where he goes in the draft. All right, still to come this week on the Pipeline Show, we're going to look closer at the USHL playoffs as well as the uh, postseason in the Ontario Hockey League and, of course, uh, closer to home here with the Western Hockey League as well. So still lots to come on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Back off to the near side. It comes for Winters. Down low, takes the return. Winters cross rank shot goal. Ingram again. Hey, this is Adam Ingram from the Youngstown Phantoms, and this is the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. Goal! And Johnny Gaudreau. 
were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Keith Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky, uh, available throughout Western Canada, which means my next guest, out of luck. I don't know if you're a big uh, beef jerky eater, Kirsten, but uh, unfortunately for you, you won't be able to get some. We're going to talk some USHL hockey playoffs uh, well underway now, and in fact, uh, the uh, opening round just wrapped up in uh, exciting style. And uh, to talk about it is Kirsten Krull from The Rink Live. Uh, Kirsten, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. And yeah, feeling pretty energized after that Lincoln Stars Waterloo Blackhawks game that we just saw that went into overtime and ultimately Waterloo coming out on top. Literally just ended uh, five minutes before uh, we started our conversation. Most people will hear this uh, probably starting on Friday, but uh, for those who are uh, subscribers to the show and uh, we'll get it here uh, not too long after we're done chatting, uh, just an exciting finish. I mean, Lincoln blows a two-goal lead with three minutes to go in the game and then lose in overtime. That's quite the comeback for Waterloo. It definitely is. And what was it, three unanswered goals for Waterloo to eventually come out on top and take the whole thing. And they're now going to be advancing to the semifinals, taking on the Sioux City Musketeers. So just a great game, an exciting game, especially if you're a Waterloo Blackhawk fan. Uh, Kirsten, when you look at what happened in the first round, I was going to say, is there any big surprise? I guess this one might have been the biggest surprise. Waterloo, the sixth seed uh, going into the playoffs, Lincoln, the number three. Uh, But other than that, was there any other surprise? Honestly, I would say this is the biggest one. I don't want to say Waterloo was the underdog, but statistically speaking and looking at the rankings, they were the underdog. Mm -hmm. And just looking, too, at a lot of the talent that the Lincoln Stars have. I know Lucas Wallen especially was on a tear late this second half of the season. And so, especially like we mentioned, the lead that they did have coming into the third period and then just kind of giving that up. Um, I know one of the huge assets for Waterloo as of late has been Sam Renzel, who finished his high school season with Chaska, then came back down to Waterloo and is finishing with them down the stretch. So he's been a big key for the Blackhawks as well. And just I would say that was probably the matchup that surprised me the most from that first round. Is that an addition this year? Kind of like when Jack Peart ended up last year with Fargo and I think was it Tristan Bros as well who uh, ended up uh, finishing the season off with Fargo and took them a long way. Uh, Getting a guy to to just join late in the season like that's a huge addition. It definitely is and especially somebody with his style of play, a prospect who is anticipated to get taken and have an NHL career. Uh, it's it's exciting for the Waterloo organization, and he's just been he's been doing pretty good so far in his time down there. All right, so second round uh, matchups are set. Tri City, who were the uh, clear, I think, in the Western Conference of the USHL, they they seem to be the the cream of the crop. Had a pretty good cushion at, atop the uh, the standings. They're going to take on Omaha, and now we know Waterloo will play Sioux City. Do you see an upset along the way here, or should we expect Tri-City to be uh, the representative uh, when eventually we get to the Clark Cup final? I'm going to be honest. I don't see anyone in the West taking down Tri-City. I think just this season they've been so dominant. Their roster is 
stacked. And it, like you had mentioned, the cushion that they have on top of the standings. I think when they claimed the Anderson Cup over the weekend, they finished the regular season with 93 points, which is almost 20 more than any other team in the league. So just they've been incredible this season. And as far as the West goes, I really don't see anyone knocking them off. I think they're a clear favorite to make it to the Clark Cup final from the West. What makes Tri-City so so formidable as a, as a team this year? Well, one, you look at defenseman Mitchell Miller, who leads, I believe, I know it's for sure all defensemen. I would need to double-check my stats, though. He might be uh, top five for sure in leading goal scorers in the entire league, but for sure the number one defenseman in goals this season. And just he's been incredible this year. And then you look at goaltending as well and uh, even more depth that they have for their forwards. Just they've been doing a really good job of bringing top caliber players into their organization. So I think just that steady pipeline that they have, much like Chicago, I think that has been one of the things that really has helped them out as well as the coaching from Anthony Noreen. So I think those things combined really have helped them out. Well, Kirsten, you nailed it. Uh, Mitchell Miller, 39 goals this year. He, that's that's tops in the entire league, tied with Ben Steves from uh, Sioux City. But, I mean, he's a forward and uh, points this season. He's fifth, I believe, overall, uh, excuse me, third overall in scoring in the entire league as a defenseman. That's that's a monster season for Mitchell Miller, and this is a guy uh, I think hockey fans will remember, drafted by Arizona, dropped by the Coyotes of, what, about a month and a half after being drafted in North Dakota, parted ways with him as well because of all the the, uh, the backstory with Mitchell Miller. Is this sort of road to redemption for him? I would say just the way he's been playing, it almost has to be um, trying to just go back out and prove himself and in his case, I'm sure he's hoping to get another chance to play at the NCAA level and then as well try to get back in, you know, sites of the NHL. But it's, you know, there is that backstory there. So who's to say what's going to come in the future? But mm-hmm. all things considered, hockey-wise, he's been having a great season. Uh, I have heard that uh, he's getting some interest from NCAA Division One programs, but haven't heard which. Have you? You're closer to it than I am. I've heard some rumblings, but not enough for me to go on the record and say for sure. Because right. as of right now, it's just a lot of hearsay. Sure. Fair enough. No, I can respect that for sure. Kirsten Krull is my guest. Uh, she's a writer for The Rink Live. Uh, and you can follow her at Kirsten Krull, K-I-R-S-T-E-N-K-R-U-L-L. Uh, recently you were at, well, actually we should do the other conference and, uh, we, that's great matchup in the second round, Chicago and Madison and Muskegon and Dubuque, that Muskegon Dubuque series could be a beauty. 100%. And I was, you know, kind of teed me up there a little bit. I was at the USHL combine That's right. Um, in, in near Chicago over the weekend. And also that Friday night made it up to Chicago's final regular season home game against Muskegon. They ended up losing early into overtime. Um, also had a lead that they lost, but it, you know, that was a really, really good matchup. And if it's any indication, if Muskegon and Chicago end up facing each other again this time, it would have to be in the conference final. That's going to be a heck of a matchup. That'll be a great game. So the Eastern Conference, I would say things could possibly get shaken up a little bit here. Well, Dubuque and Muskegon play in the next round, and, and Dubuque would have the home ice advantage, and they'd be the favorites in the series, wouldn't they? But 
I, I'm looking at Muskegon, just the way they polished off Cedar Rapids here in the in the first round. I mean, they dominated the the Rough Riders. I think what they would score them twelve to one in, in the best of three series. Uh, they they seem to be firing on all cylinders right now. Yeah, I think that matchup with Dubuque and Muskegon is going to be a really good one. I see Chicago also in the other matchup. I see them coming out on top of Madison. And one of the biggest things for Chicago right now is they are starting the playoffs without two of their top players, Nick Moldenhauer and Adam Fantilli, who are Mm -hmm. away playing for Team Canada for the U18 World Championships. So that's going to be very interesting. I mean, Chicago, again, like we mentioned with Tri-City, their roster is just stacked from top to bottom. So they're not lacking any talent there. But without two of their key players, it'll be interesting. And I talked to Brock Sheehan after Friday night's game, and he said it's not so much that it's next man up mentality for them, but it's more so guys get more of an opportunity to continue doing what they already have been or maybe kind of switching into a role that they haven't necessarily been in a lot this season. So I think I see Chicago coming out on top of Madison, but let's just say by chance if Muskegon comes and ends up taking down Dubuque, I think that would be a really interesting matchup. And I could honestly see, I could see Muskegon making it to the Clark Cup final as well. Not saying that they're my pick to do it, mm-hmm. but I think I think the Eastern Conference is more up for grabs right now. Wow! All right, we'll watch for that. Uh, well, I know with the Dubuque Fighting Saints, Stephen Halliday, what a monster year he's had as well. And uh, an overage player, undrafted, but there's no chance Halliday doesn't get taken in the NHL draft this year. I, I, at least, I, in my opinion. What about you? Well, I actually had a chance to speak with him a few weeks back, and that was one thing I asked him about. I said, so, you know, I, I know you're not, anything can happen, so I'm not saying that you're going to get drafted, but if you do, what will that mean to you? And I don't want to say he's been playing with a chip on his shoulder this season, but he's continued just to have his nose to the grindstone and playing hard. Hmm. He mentioned how last year he was eligible for the draft, didn't get picked. So he's kind of saying he's just working on every single day, focusing on what he can do now, not banking on anything happening, but that would obviously be a huge moment for him if it happens. So I think with the season that he's had, it would be really hard for an NHL team to just overlook him in this year's draft. I do think he is a great prospect that's on the table, but again, we'll see what happens. I want to ask you about the combine, but uh, I have to touch on the, the Chicago Steel before we get to the combine. And uh, you mentioned that they have two players over in the U18 in Germany right now. Funny how the, the calendar just works out. Chicago gets a bye through the first round while the U18 is on. Those guys will be back. Probably this weekend, Canada plays uh, against Finland here right away and not expected to to win that game. So Fantilli and and, uh, the other player. Yeah, Nick Moldenhauer. Moldenhauer, excuse me. Uh, Both of those guys could be back for the start of the next round. Well, you know, it's funny how things shake up and change. So, yeah, I mean, as far as the scheduling goes, that's great for Chicago. If Mm -hmm. they are able to get back in time to start right away, that would be fantastic. I'm sure no one on the team would complain about that. Adam Fantilli, he's going to be a high draft pick in the 2023 NHL draft. He's been in the USHL a couple of seasons now. For us, up here in Canada, he's south of the border and doesn't get as much attention as, uh, you know, even guys like Owen Power didn't get as much attention until they got to the university level. You've seen Adam Fantilli play. Can you give us a bit of a, a scouting report on him? When I think of Adam Fantilli's game and what I've seen this season, the first clip 
highlight reel goal that comes to my mind is when he scored on the Michigan earlier this season. Um, definitely a highlight reel goal for him. Just a fan, like just a great young player. And I've seen a lot of articles too saying, you know, potentially the next power forward in the NHL, top three draft pick potentially in 2023. He's another player I actually had the chance to talk to again a couple of weeks ago. And one of the things that really stood out to me, again, I asked him, I said, you know, there's a lot of talk about your game and kind of the expectations surrounding you. So as just a 17 year old, how are you dealing with this? And, you know, one of his big things that he said, he has time limits on his social media. So he's not spending a lot of time on his phone. He's not checking what people are saying. So he's really kind of distancing himself from all of the talk. And I thought that was a really cool thing to hear. And I, you know, it makes sense too. when you are this high profile of a young player with, you know, a potentially really bright future ahead of you. Uh, Kirsten, you said you were at the Combine. It was in Chicago, you said? Yes, at Orland Park, so just outside, but close enough. <laughs> All right. I know you and uh, Sydney Wolf were, were both there, and I saw the little uh, TikTok clip of uh, you guys trying to do the vertical jump uh, like the players were doing. Uh, I don't know are you, are you, I don't know how tall you are, Kirsten, but you make it look like you got a, a two- or a three-inch vertical there. Uh, not great. <laughs> Definitely a lot of room for improvement there. Uh, I will say there are where guys may be an inch taller than me or just as tall as me. I'm 5'7", and they were actually hitting whatever you call it, the inch markers yeah. for the vertical. I did not. I was still a few inches away from even touching one of them. So a lot of room for improvement before the next combine. <laughs> well, Sydney couldn't do it either, but I mean, the, I mean, these, are, these guys are uh, top-of-the-notch athletes. Uh, <laughs> they make it look easy, don't they? I mean, these are young kids. They do. I will say it. I, try and do it. I did do it in heels and I landed on my heel. So I'm going to take that as a win. All right. Talk one up for Kirsten. Um, no, it's not as easy as it looks. I challenge anyone to attempt it. Um, these people are athletes for a reason and I am a reporter for a reason. <laughs> uh, I want to ask about the draft, just the way it works. Cause I know there's, there's different phases and it's, from uh, an outside perspective, it's kind of complicated, the USHL draft. I know there's there's tenders, teams can sign guys before the draft. I don't know how that works either. Why why isn't it just a cut and dry, much like the NHL draft, where the worst team in the league gets first pick and you pick a guy? That'd be too easy. Nothing can be that easy, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, this is going to be my first USHL draft, so I'm kind of figuring it out as I go through it as well. Um, I know there's the phase one and phase two. I believe phase one starts Monday, May 2nd with phase two following the next day. I know just off the top of my head for sure, Chicago doesn't have their first round pick because like you mentioned with tenders, they signed um, Celebrini, who is going to be another top player. People are also projecting him, I believe, a 2024 top draft pick. So the pipeline for Chicago is strong, but that's, you know, we've been seeing a lot more of those names come through with tender agreements. I know there's more like, I know Owen Keith is one. I believe he tendered with Muskegon. Tri-City had a tender as well, but I just can't remember off the top of my head. So there's a couple of those moves that are going to change the way things are in the draft a little bit, but you know, still, it'll still be interesting to see who some teams add to their rosters 
it just seems weird to me. Like, okay, so you got the best, one of the best teams. The one, of the, let's say, Chicago has been the best team in the, in the USHL for the last three or four years. They're able to just go out and sign the best player available. Meanwhile, uh, who's in last place? Des Moines. They don't have the opportunity to draft that guy. It just it doesn't seem to make sense to me. The draft should be to help the the worst teams in the league get better. You would think. I have no idea, though. It's yeah, like you mentioned, things just it, they can't be that easy. All right. Well, Kirsten, listen, I really appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of the USHL uh, Clark Cup uh, Clark Cup playoffs. That's a tricky one for me to spit out as well. But uh, it was uh, great to catch up with you, and I uh, hope we can chat again. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. There's Kirsten Krull from The Rink Live, and uh, literally five minutes before we had that conversation, the uh, first-round series ended between Lincoln and Waterloo with the Blackhawks winning in overtime, just uh, like a minute and a half into overtime. Huge comeback for those Blackhawks, scoring two goals in the final three minutes of the game. Connor Brown getting both of those. In fact, it was a hat trick for him tonight, and then a teammate getting the, uh, the game winner just a minute and a half into the overtime. Great stuff. Good to have uh, Kirsten on the show. First time she's been on the Pipeline show. We'll call her again. Up next, we're heading to the OHL. Great playoffs. First round in the OHL playoffs has been fantastic. One series is done. Another series is uh, three to zip. The other six are as tight as possible. We'll get an update on how things are shaking out as we uh, connect with Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey. He's up next here on the Pipeline show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. He wants this hat trick, and he's just going right to the net. Scores! There it is! He wanted it! He got it! <laughs> Give him five points! Hey, it's Gabriel Valetti of the Windsor Spitfires, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Alberta Junior Hockey League champions, the Spruce Grove Saints, are back and welcoming fans to the Grant Fuhrer Arena for the 2021-22 season. A community-minded Junior A hockey organization offering affordable family entertainment. Tickets to big league hockey at affordable family rates range from $9 to $15 with free parking and some of the best food and drink specials in town. For more information on tickets and how you can become a partner, go to sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. You don't scare me. I got chunks of guys like you in my stool. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The, the Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky, Alberta's best beef jerky. Two locations, one in Leduc, one in Spruce Grove. But if you're out west, they will ship it to you or any order, any size, anywhere out west. Just contact Trent in Leduc and they'll take care of you. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. Dot com. My guest today is uh, Brock Otten, who uh, works for McKean's, head scout for McKean's, and uh, has been watching, uh, obviously, the OHL playoffs and uh, the U18s as well. We'll touch on that a little bit later, but we're going to focus on the OHL playoffs. And uh, Brock, welcome back to the Pipeline Show, first off. How are things? Good. Good. Thanks for having me on again. Always terrific uh, when we're able to track you down. The the OHL playoffs uh, this year, Brock, it seemed like the first round in a lot of uh, leagues and a lot of years kind of predictable this year the ohl playoffs they're fantastic as we're speaking right now it's it's thursday 
and there's only one series that is done. The other, that that would be North Bay, has eliminated Ottawa, and Hamilton looks like they're going to make a short work of Peterborough, but it's still 3 nothing. The other series are as close as they can be after two or after three or four games. Uh, the first round's pretty entertaining this year. Yeah, and I, I think that's especially true about the West, um, and I don't think that really shocks anybody. The West has kind of been back and forth all year as to sort of who was going to take that conference, and a lot of the sort of preseason predictions uh, ended up being completely wrong on that conference in, in general as well. So, um, yeah, in the East, it's definitely, you know, North Bay kind of ran over Ottawa. They were close games. Um, I think that, you know, the fact that it was a sweep doesn't really uh, state the quality of the games and, and the competition in that series. Uh, Hamilton has definitely sort of run over Peterborough, and I, I don't think that's really shocking to anybody. They're definitely entering the playoffs as sort of the, the number one favorite in either conference. But uh, anytime, you know, you can get really even series, it's to the benefit of scouts, fans, uh, anybody who follows the league. And we're definitely getting that. And it's great, too, considering, you know, we didn't have playoffs the last, well, last year with the OHL off, right? Yeah. And the year before that with, with the shutdown and everything. So it's great to have them back and it's great to see them competitive. Going into the postseason, was there one series in particular that you thought was going to be maybe just from an entertainment factor, let alone a scouting perspective, uh, but was there one series that was uh, the most intrigue for you? Yeah, I think the mississauga Barry one, definitely in terms of scouting and in terms of entertainment, was one that I had circled, and it hasn't disappointed. It's you know had overtime finishers. It's, uh, it's deadlocked right now as we speak. Um, and, uh, it's, it's just been really high quality hockey, very physically intense series so far. We've got some really good, uh, 2002 draft eligibles playing in it. And, uh, Luca double blues and Owen Misa, uh, or sorry, Oren Beck, not Luke Misa. He's, he's a teammate. Um, and, uh, Hunter hate as well. And, uh, Owen Beck had a great overtime winner the other night, uh, where he kind of went through all of Barry that was all over the highlight packages. So that one's definitely been the series that I anticipated would be the closest and it has been so far. Um, also Owen sound and Flint has been a really good one too. And I think that doesn't surprise anybody. Owen sounds always one of those teams that performs really well in the playoffs. They just have a, a really strong makeup. They balance their lines really well. They're very competitive and uh, they're giving Flint all they can handle. Well, you go back to the uh, Mississauga and Barry series, three of those games go to overtime, including double overtime in game four. Uh, fans are getting their money's worth for sure. Uh, you mentioned Flint and Owen Sound, and you're right, Owen Sound always seems to up their level uh, in the playoffs. It's just great to see Flint finally in the postseason and and playing some pretty good hockey this year. Isn't it after everything that they've kind of gone through on and off the ice, maybe not even just hockey-wise, but th that city needs something to be happy about? Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, that franchise used to be one of the best in, in the OHL, right, when they were in Plymouth. And, you know, since they've moved to Flint, they obviously have had some problems uh, with ownership and scandals and you name it. Right. Um, and it's definitely great to see them performing so well this year. And I think way above expectations that people had placed on them preseason too, which is obviously very encouraging for, for them moving forward because a lot of those key pieces that they've been able to put together this year are, are likely to return next year. I mean, there's a chance Brennan Hoffman maybe makes the Rangers, but I would anticipate he probably returns for another year and, um, they're definitely, uh, it seems that they've turned things around, which is great. Um, and the Western conference in general is just completely wide open. I honestly, uh, I, 
I honestly don't know who's going to come out of the West this year. And it, it, it wouldn't shock me if, if anybody really uh, one through eight made a run. It's about who's going to be the hottest team. Whereas I think in the East, I'd be shocked if it wasn't Hamilton, but in the West, uh, I think we're going to get competitive series every single round. And it's going to be great. Rock Otten from McKean's Hockey is uh, my guest here on the Pipeline Show looking at the Ontario Hockey League playoffs. The London Knights, the Kitchener Rangers, separated in the standings by a bunch of points, but when you get two arch-rivals like this going head-to-head, I think you kind of throw out the regular season, and uh, they are deadlocked 2-2 as well. Kitchener surprised them maybe a bit in Game 1, and I know London won Games 2 and 3, and maybe people thought, okay, well, the the Knights are going to pull away now, but then Kitchener wins it uh, in Game 4, and these games have, have... for the in general, have all been pretty close. I think three of them were one goal games. Yeah, um, and I think you got to look at sort of the trajectory that these two teams were on, you know, heading into the playoffs. Too Kitchener was was playing some really good hockey, and London was unquestionably playing the worst hockey uh, of their year heading into the playoffs. So they're battling injuries. Um, they got Brett Brochu back in net, which is huge because he didn't play a lot towards the second half of the year. Um, which obviously really, really hurt them and caused them to fall down the standings a little bit. But now they got him back. It's definitely solidified things a little bit, but their defense is just kind of, uh, I don't want to use the word in shambles, but they lost Logan Mayu. Uh, I mean, whatever you think about his antics off the ice, he's been a, a good player for them on the ice this year. And his shoulder injury knocks him out for the rest of the year. And Isaiah George, uh, who's been a rock for them this year and a top draft eligible player from the OHL this year, he's now out. So mm-hmm. now, you know, they've called up Oliver Bonk, who is Radic Bonk's son um, from Junior B, and he's been playing some big minutes for them in the playoffs so far. I mean, that kind of goes to to show you, you know, how bad injuries have, have hit that team at the wrong time. And I mean, it's not to make an excuse. Kitcher is playing some great hockey, like I said, but London has definitely had. An unlucky year, and I think it's sort of continued in the playoffs thus far. So uh, that series is a, is a coin toss. Um, I think they're very balanced and even on paper, and I think that we're seeing sort of that reflected in, in the box scores as well. Um, like you, uh, I was kind of thinking, okay, London's taken two in a row now. Maybe they are pulling away a little bit. They've got brochures. He's been playing a little bit better, kind of finding his game again. And then, you know, Kitchener comes up with another win. So uh yeah honestly that's another one just like Owen Simon Flint uh, I think you flip a coin I think it could go either way uh, you talked about the Hamilton Bulldogs and just how they they are the clear favorites in that conference what separates them from the pack is it is it their high-end skill is it depth is it uh, uh, something else combination of everything it's everything honestly um you know there weren't a lot of teams in the OHL that really loaded <laughs> loaded up this year I think there was still sort of some uncertainty as the how everything was going to shake down. Um, and, but Hamilton just kind of threw caution to the wind and, and really sort of loaded up. And they brought in Mason McCavish, and he's been an absolute uh, game-breaker for them. Um, they've rolled three really strong lines. They've got the defense uh, that's probably the deepest in the entire OHL. You know, they're scratching guys who could play in, uh, honestly, in the top four in some teams in the league. Mm-hmm. And they're being scratched just because of how deep that team is. And, Top to bottom, um, there really isn't a weakness uh, on that team. And I think that's sort of why coming into the playoffs, they were considered the favorite. And I don't think that's changed uh, as they're sort of steamrolling Peterborough uh, in the first round. And yeah, next round, they're going to draw whoever, well, other than if Oshawa manages to upset Kingston, which I, I don't see happening. I think Oshawa will push Kingston, but I don't think we'll see an upset there. But 
looks like Hamilton's going to draw either Mississauga or Barry in the second round. And I think that's going to be a, a good matchup. But again, I, I don't see either of those teams really testing them. And uh, honestly, they're, they're my pick uh, to still come out of the, the OHL this year for the Memorial Cup. Oh, makes sense. They've been ranked really high in the CHL rankings. So uh, I this one completely got by me. I didn't uh, hear that Tyson Forster returned to the Barry Colts. Uh, I see he started playing at the end of March. When did that happen? I, I didn't think you could add guys after the January 10th uh, trade deadline. Yeah, well, so he was a return from the AHL. Yeah. Um, so he was injured, and then I guess the Flyers decided to, to send him back for the playoff run. So he kind of came back. I want to say he was back for maybe the last, month or three weeks of the regular season before the playoffs. Um, not significant amount of time, but enough to sort of, you know, get his foot under him uh, or his feet under him a little bit. Uh, and uh, he looks good. I was at the Mississauga Berry game, uh, game three on Sunday. No, game two, game two, maybe. Uh, either way, I was, I was at either game two or game three there uh, in that series. And, and Forster really took over in the third period when Berry managed to tie it. Uh, he was fantastic. Um, definitely looks uh, a little quicker, a little stronger, you know, anything you'd expect from him, even if uh, he's kind of battled some injuries at the pro level this year. Uh, honestly, he should have been returned right from the get-go, in my opinion. You know, there were some teams who, who sort of took advantage of the fact that they could yeah. uh, have their 19-year-olds playing in the AHL on that exemption. Um, and there were some who just sent them back right from the get-go. You look at Ryan O'Rourke, who was one of those guys who was sent back right from the get-go, and he's a nominee for Defender of the Year this year. So I think that uh, I don't want to say the Flyers messed up, but uh, I do think that that uh, was uh, something they probably are going to look back on and saying that we should have done that right from the beginning of the year. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that you could do that after January 10th. I thought that was kind of a, a hard line in the sand when it comes to roster adjustments. I thought all of that had to be done by then. So it surprised me. Uh, you and I both know the uh, the CHL rulebook isn't uh, extremely <laughs> etched in stone. There's a, there's a lot of loopholes that I think we're all uh, unaware of sometimes. I find myself having to go back and, and look at certain things sometimes because <laughs> I, I just never know. Well, as we're chatting, it's Thursday afternoon. A couple of hours ago, the Saginaw Spirit have uh, formally announced that they're taking Michael Misa, the, uh, the latest exceptional status player. Uh, for the OHL, uh, he's going to be the first overall pick in the priority selection. Tell me about this guy. What do you know about him so far? And is he, you know, Connor Bedard and uh, John Tavares and all the, you know, the past exceptional status guys? Is he one of those uh, the, at that same level as some of those guys? It's a little early, uh, I think, to to say. Um, I know that sounds kind of cliche, but he looked really, really good at the OHL Cup. Um, from talking to people when I was at the OHL Cup myself. It wasn't. It wasn't sort of set in stone that he was going to get that exceptional status. It was mm. kind of like, you know, is he? Isn't he? Uh, you know, I was getting different answers from from everybody, so it wasn't clear cut. Um, and then he went out and just absolutely dominated the OHL Cup, broke Connor McDavid's scoring record, led uh, Mississauga Senators to the the championship, and you know, ended up securing that uh, exceptional status. Uh, I was very impressed with his play. He's definitely. Uh, a good enough skater. He's he's definitely a, a very high end skater, and I think that's going to allow him to to find some immediate success in the OHL. Very skilled player. He's obviously going to have to to add some size a little bit to to really excel. But I, I wouldn't put him in sort of the same level. Having seen you know Connor McDavid and Shane Wright uh, at the same age, I, I wouldn't necessarily say he stood out in the same way that those two did in a sort of dominating fashion. But I definitely think that the skill set is extremely high end, and I think that. 
he's somebody is who is going to find sort of immediate success with Saginaw. Um, but it, it's a very good OHL draft year uh, as well. There's some really good players available to teams, including the number two pick, Malcolm Spence. From my conversations with scouts, it wasn't really even set in stone that Misa was going to be Saginaw's pick, um, that Spence was sort of pushing. It was kind of like a 50-50 toss-up, um, you know, even with him granted uh, exceptional status. Spence is that, uh, that good of a player as well. I think, was Sean Day the only exceptional player uh, who was not taken first overall? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, Hockey Canada obviously does their due diligence. They're asking teams that are going to be picking in that range. You know, if we grant exceptional status, is that somebody you're going to be taking? So obviously, you know, the answer that they got was, you know, yes, we're going to be taking them in that range. Uh, but the scouts that I talked to said it could have been one or two. Um, you know, it's not that Visa would have potentially fallen. Um, I don't think there was ever a consideration of that, like Day, who fell out of the top uh, three, I believe. I think he was number four. Yeah, I think so. Um, but uh, I think it more says something about how good of a prospect Spence is and not necessarily to take away anything from Misa. Uh, both are exceptional players. It's funny to think with all these exceptional status players we've seen over the last uh, decade and a half or so, I think Joe Valeno is the only one who actually has won a, a, a league championship and a Memorial Cup. Uh, or maybe not league championship, but the only guy who's won a Memorial Cup anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting to, to really look at that. Um, you know, that's definitely an interesting stat. I think the thing that you got to look at, I guess, is some of these guys leave the league pretty quickly, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, even though they're given exceptional status, they're playing an extra year, but they're coming into a team who's picking first overall. So there's some struggles there, obviously, as a cohesive team unit. And then by that team, by the time that team is, is ready to compete, you know, they might be playing in the NHL. Um, and that's sort of the struggle. Um, I believe Tavares did win with London, if I'm, if I'm correct. Yeah, league title, but did he win a Memorial Cup? No, I don't think. I think that the cup that London won wasn't with Tavares, I believe. Okay. I think you're right on that one. Yeah, league championship, but not Memorial Cup. Yeah, it might be just Valeno. It's interesting. And then he would be the one that hasn't had the individual success, that's right? That's right. Yeah, well, other than Sean Day, but yeah, we won't talk about Sean Day. <laughs> but it's similar situation right out uh, out here with uh, with Connor Bedard right now because you know he he's gone after next year. He's not coming back to the WHL as a you know after the 2023 draft. But Regina didn't make the playoffs this year, so you know what do they do next season? They're they're probably uh, on paper not contenders right now. They got a lot of work to do to make their team uh, a Memorial Cup contender, let alone a a WHL contender. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if he finishes the season as a Regina Pat because they don't have a whole lot in the, in the cupboards to, to fill out that roster, to use as trade bait and things like that, but they could get a lot for him. So I don't know. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say, right? Like, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for them to move him. If they don't think that they can win a title this year with Bedard, you know, do you retool? I mean, you're going to trade him for an absolute King's ransom, right? And you still got some, decent young players on the roster like Tanner Howe and, and whatnot to build around. Yep. Um, and, a, and a, you know, another relatively high pick uh, coming up. And so that's something they're going to have to look at. And maybe that means they're trying to bring in talent through the import draft. Maybe they make a really strong recruiting push for Matthew Wood um, mm-hmm. out from the BCHL there. Uh, that could be something that you see happen. Um, yeah, like you said, it's definitely, um, it's hard. It's hard to to be competitive um, and turn things around in the CHL. Not every franchise can do it. That sort of first 
turnaround, even with an exceptional player like Connor Bedard. I mean, you look at how good of a year he had with Regina individually, but still wasn't enough to get that team in the playoffs. And uh, just because you have the best player on your team doesn't mean that you're going to have the, the best team in the CHL. It's just uh, the league is too good. There's too many good players, and um, and it's just uh, it's too difficult of an endeavor for one player to really take over games. Yeah. Um, like I would imagine Connor Bedard absolutely dominates the WHL next year. I can't even imagine the kind of point totals he's going to put up. Um, but will that be enough to make them a Memorial Cup contender? I mean, probably, probably not, right? That's hockey, though. I mean, if just having the best player uh, made you the best team automatically, then the Edmonton Oilers would win five Stanley Cups in a row here. Hey, exactly, exactly, yeah. But that's hockey. Uh, speaking of Bedard, speaking of Matthew Wood, they're playing for Canada at the U18s. Well, they're not anymore because Canada's been eliminated by uh, Finland. Uh, really quickly before we leave, I know this is a tournament that's really big for the scouting community because it's the last big event before the uh, the actual NHL draft itself. Uh, and the tournament's not over yet, but from what you've seen, Brock, uh, what has uh, stood out to you so far? Well, the first thing that stood out is just how dominant the Americans have been. Um, they're just a machine, um, and nobody in their division was able to, to stop them. Um, and uh, that, you know, they've, they've, they've had some really strong teams at that event. I mean, that's the pinnacle of, of their two years, right? It culminates... Uh, with the U18s and the U.S. Has, has struggled the last few events, um, and there's a lot of pressure on that program to to perform. And they have blown away even the high expectations for them this uh, this tournament. Um, they're just such a well-oiled machine. They just have such great depth and and skill uh, up front, especially. And that's sort of been the the big takeaway for me thus far. And then obviously the the Czechs performing extremely well. You know, with an overtime victory over Canada that helped sort of secure that second place in the division and get them in a little bit of an easier run in the quarterfinal, which they won today. And then just the individual performances on that team. Um, you know, the Czech hockey hasn't uh, hasn't done terrific at the international level in the last few years. There's been a lot of that whole talk of you know what's going on with Czech hockey. You know, is is there something wrong with it? And and now you've got these boys playing with a bit of a chip on their shoulder. I feel like and Yuri Kulich has been absolutely phenomenal at the tournament. Maybe maybe even the best player in the tournament so far. I would say, um, and it's got to be doing some really good things for his draft stock. And then you've got so many other good players on that team that have performed extremely well. And um, I would say sort of those are the two biggest takeaways for me thus far. Would be you know how dominant the U.S. has been, and then um, you know how good individually Yuri Kulich has been and the Czechs uh, as a team overall. Well, the U.S. does so well at this event. We know it's because of the National Junior Development Program uh, with the U-17, the U-18 team. They get to play together for, and develop together for two years. It's basically a club team that gets to go over, a really high-end club team. I still, it, it's become a pet project for me. I, I don't know why Canada can't do something similar with all the guys who are taking the college route. Instead of seeing all these Canadians go play in the USHL, uh, put them in Calgary and, and and form a national development program there. So guys like Adam Fantilli and Owen Power and Regal Lorenz and all those guys can play and represent Canada at the U17 and U18 levels. Uh, I don't know why Canada can't do it. Uh, I, I digress. It's, is it, am I crazy? Yeah, actually. Why can't I, Canada I, I do it? You, I heard you talking with Alan Miller about that, actually. Yeah. Um, and I heard you throwing some ideas around Adam. I, I think the big thing would be, 
there's that risk that you then water down the CHL, right? So if you take some of the best players from, say, the AJHL and the BCHL and the OJHL and some of the people that aren't drafted in the CHL and you throw them sort of in that high-end program, will you then sort of deter players from taking the CHL route? Would it, would it be like, hey, I want to be part of this program, but I'm not going to go to the CHL now. I want to go to that. And then it gives them those extra couple of years for, you know, University of Minnesota and Boston College and Boston University to kind of get in their heads and say, hey, you know, come come south of border. Let's go the NCAA route. I think maybe that's where that concern might be from from a Hockey Canada perspective is, you know, the longer we delay these players going the CHL route, the less likely they are. I think maybe that would be the, the big sticking point, but I do agree with you. There has to be a way that, you know, that can be done. Um, even if you did it on a U17 level, right? So maybe you push the draft back a bit and you had each individual CHL league. So you had one from the dub, you had one from the O, you have one from the Q, a U17, best players in the U17 play on that team together, just like the U17 team does in the USHL, right? And then from there, you could have those players drafted two CHL teams after that season, uh, maybe like a dispersal draft or something like that. Um, I, I don't know. It's definitely an interesting topic of discussion. I think it's, yeah, you look at the success that USA hockey has had in the last decade and it's because of what they're doing on the national uh, development team program. And because of the strength that uh, the USHL has now uh, gotten from acquiring the, uh, you know, U.S. 17 and uh, U.S. under 18 teams in that league too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that league is not going away. Like the USHL just continues to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And you look at the the CHL's decision to not allow uh, Russian and, and Belarusian players in the import draft. Well, I, I guarantee you that the USHL is now rubbing their hands together, saying, "Oh, you know, okay, the top." 15 guys that would have gone in the import draft. We'll figure out a way to get you visas. We'll figure out a way to get you over here and play in our league. And then that league becomes even better again. Right. So it's just one of those things that uh, I don't think is ever going to go away. And eventually I think hockey Canada is going to have to get creative to, to keep some of these players in their program. USHL licking their chops, just like they did when the CHL banned import goalies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Brock, this has been terrific. Uh, we'll have you on again. Well, obviously two or three times, I'm sure before the NHL draft rolls around. Uh, but, uh, I'd love to chat more and, uh, uh, talk about, uh, this, this Canadian national junior program that, uh, you and I think there's gotta be a way, there's gotta be a way that gotta it makes sense. Yeah. Hey, if I'm the CHL and I'm kind of nervous about losing guys, well, I believe in the CHL. I, I'm going to say that these guys can play as 17 or 18 year olds or 16 and 17 year olds in the national program and then come to the to the OHL or the WHL. If I believe in my product and that it's best for development, then I'm not afraid those guys are just going to continue to go on to the NCAA. Absolutely, yeah. Maybe maybe instead of playing in the U16 leagues in their own league, right? You, you get them into the program early, right? Maybe there's that sort of thing yeah. that you look at. Um, I believe that's what Slovakia has done, I, I think, um, is they've started that program extremely early now. Um, and maybe that's the answer. I, I don't know. But we're just going to keep losing talent to the USHL and to the college route. I think it's going to get worse and not better, unfortunately. Great stuff, Brock. Let's do it again. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, man. That's Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey. Check out uh, their latest rankings and things like that. And he does such a great job. Every time he's on the show, I learn something new something or two or three somethings uh, new every time he's on. I like his perspective also on 
the thought of the Canadian National Development Program idea that uh, that I've been starting to pump the tires of here uh, more and more. I've I've been talking about that for man, it must be a decade now, but I really think it should happen. Uh, but he had some good counterpoints and some things to think of, and maybe that's something we should open up to the audience. What are some of the hurdles that would have to be cleared in order for it to happen and to make sense? Obviously, there's going to be some some teams, some leagues that don't like it. I think it would affect a league like, let's say, the BCHL. Uh, my scenario would have the Canadian National Development Program playing in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, much like the U.S. version plays in the USHL. Now, the American version plays about a third of their, the U18 squad plays about a third of their time in the USHL, about a third against Division One opponents, and the other third on the international scene, uh, playing in uh, the international tournaments. I think you can do that with the Canadians as well. A third in the AJHL, a third in the international stuff. I don't know what, what you do with the Division One. I, I don't know if how easy that would be or difficult that would be to set up uh, NCAA Division One opponents. I guess you could probably do it with U Sport teams, but then you've got a pretty big, a pretty significant age difference there. Although, I mean, it'll be a little bit older than NCAA teams. U Sports is 21 to 25 year olds. NCAA would be, you know, 19, very few 18s, up to 23, 24. So similar, but a little bit different. And when we're talking about U18, so 17 year olds, significant age gap and physical maturity and things like that. So I'm not sure if that would work, but that's one of the hurdles. Okay, so who do they play against? What league do they play in? Maybe you play them in the AJHL. No, you can't play them in more than one league. You couldn't do it in the AJ and the BCHL. Plus, the BCHL isn't even under the Hockey Canada umbrella now, or the CJHL umbrella. So that's complicated things. Would CHL teams lose that many players? What if the way to get around that was that uh, the way you, you know that those players, they'll play in the their 16 and their 17-year-old uh, seasons with the development program, they've signed their CHL agreements. So you know after those two years they're coming to your program. Would that be a way to get around it? I'm not sure because you'd still have those players who do want to go the, the college route, like an Owen Power or an Adam Fantilli or Kent Johnson who was in the BCHL last year, or two years ago, then went to Michigan, was drafted from there. You know, it's it's those types of players that I'm thinking of the most. Is Get them to play for the National Development Program as 16- and 17-year-olds if they want to spend another year or two in the CJHL league that's nearest to them, or if they still want to go to the USHL and then off to college, they can do that. I mean, there's a number of guys over the years who have played for the American Development Program and then gone to the CHL. Patrick Kane, Seth Jones two guys just to come to mind. So it's not an automatic. I don't think that this would really, really impact the CHL. It could, but I don't know that it's an automatic. And there's got to be other issues and other hurdles to clear. So maybe you, the audience, can let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy and share some of your concerns with the idea. What would be bad about it? And what would you do to address that hurdle? All right, well, that was Brock Otten. Go check out his stuff. And it looks like that's going to do it for this week's episode. I did have a planned WHL segment to come, but that has fallen through, unfortunately. So uh, this late in the week, not enough time to uh, get a replacement, I don't think. So that's going to do it for uh, this week's episode. I apologize for that. A little shorter than I had planned. 
Uh, next week on the show, well, we'll get through the first round of the OHL and the WHL playoffs. The AJHL final kicks off this weekend with the Brooks Bandits and the Spruce Grove Saints. The USHL playoffs, well, after we're speaking with uh, Kirsten Krull earlier, we know that's going to be all the way into the conference finals by the time next week rolls around. Maybe we'll take a look at the uh, at the Null and the end of the regular season in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League as well. So we'll be able to tee up the postseason in the queue. So lots to look forward to next week. And of course, we'll always keep our eye on the 2022 draft spotlight segments as well. Quick thank you, everyone who has been signing up to be a patron at patreon.com. Really appreciate the support. A couple of bucks a month or even less than that on an annual basis. You get early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode of the show. Go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show. Until next week, everybody, get out and watch some junior or junior A playoff hockey so that you and I can talk about it next week right here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Till then, my name's Keith Flaming. See ya!